I invite you all to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We've been in this chapter for a while, and it may seem like I'm kind of stuck here, but what I've realized is that there is so much um, practical teaching in these verses, and we just need to unpack some of that. So this morning, we're going to start in chapter 5, and I'll start reading in verse 8. And I'll get to this in a minute. Chapter 5 of Ephesians, starting in verse 8, and I'll read through verse 17. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil." Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us this morning from that word, and may your will be done and your kingdom grow and expand, and just thank you for this time we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin this morning, obviously, in verse 8, and if you'll notice, Paul talks, he tells us who we once were as believers in Christ, who we were and who we are now. And I find it interesting how he says, he says, once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. What I find interesting is Paul doesn't say that once you were in darkness, but now you are walking in the light. He says, we are, we were darkness. We and the rest of those who do not believe weren't just walking in darkness. We were darkness itself. But now, We are light because Jesus is the light of the world. His light has been poured into us, and now we are light. We reflect that light. We shine that light, but we are the light as he is the light. And because of that change, because of coming from darkness, being darkness, and now becoming light, there needs to be some fruit. In verse 9, Paul makes it clear what this light looks like. For the fruit of light, or what produces light, and last week you'll remember Jim's message about faith and works and how they they have to work together. Deeds are light. The things that we do, it shows it's the fruit of light. They're found in all that is good and right and true. As we think about light, there are different kinds. These are, these are lights. Those are light 
lists that just give light kind of general everywhere. These are a little bit spotlights, but then there's a beam of light. There's different kinds of light. So we are to be all of that. We can, we can zoom in and directly at one spot, or we can just flood light everywhere. So light does that. It permeates everything. I remember years ago, Ruth's mother, Carol's mother, Leota, used to say, wherever you go, there you are, which is a very true statement, right? Well, I like to broaden that a little bit. Wherever you go, light will shine. Doesn't matter where you go, light will shine as a follower of the Lord Jesus. And then in verse 10, he tells us, now try to discern and try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. We're to try and to see what God wants us to do, what pleases Him, what brings Him pleasure. It's His pleasure, not our pleasure. It's not the things that I necessarily like to do. I have those things. But what does He want me to do? What brings Him pleasure and not just pleasure to me? Because the fact is, if we are light, if we are children of the light, then what we do and it pleases Him, it will also please us doesn't mean it'll be fun necessarily while we're doing it, but it will be pleasing in the end. But to determine that takes effort. It takes thought. It takes study of Scripture. We have to know what God has said. But it also takes awareness of our surroundings, the world around us, the world that we live in. And then in verse 11, Paul says, and he's very clear, he says, have nothing to do Or take no part in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. That makes sense. Don't do what everybody else does. But then he says this, but rather expose them. Now, in order for us to expose the darkness, we need to know somewhat of what the darkness is. And that takes careful wisdom. It takes knowledge of Scripture. It takes the direction of the Holy Spirit to know what He wants us to involve ourselves in, but what He wants us to see about the darkness around us and how we can expose the light in that darkness. And then in verse 12, He gives us a warning. And I think we, this is where we need to be very, very careful as Christians as children of the light, as we live in a dark world and we're to expose the darkness. I had to think of John the Baptist in our Sunday school lesson this morning. We talked about him and how he, he was a light to Herod. Herod didn't like that light and certainly Herod's wife didn't like that light. But it was John's duty to tell the truth and to be light in that darkness. And it was costly. But Paul says, be very careful, because for it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. Now, it almost seemed like, well, wait a minute, Paul, you can't, how can we, you know, we're not to have anything to do with what they do, but we're supposed to expose it. So, but then it's even shameful to mention what they're doing. So how does that work? I think it means we can know too much. We don't need to know all of the wicked details of what goes on in that darkness. Sometimes they're very degrading. They're lurid details. They're extremely sinful, of course. 
We don't need to know all those details. That's not healthy. We need to know just enough that we know it's dark. And that's good enough. So that we can speak to the issue or we can address the issue. We don't need all those details. Just stay out of that. And this is why. Light by its very nature dispels darkness. Where light is present, there can be no darkness. And neither can light harbor darkness within itself. Scripture tells us of God Himself. In Him, He is light, and in Him, there is no darkness at all. That tells us that as Christians, darkness should have no part in our hearts, in our minds, our thoughts, any of that. And if it pops in, we expel it immediately. We don't, we can't live in that. So knowing all the details isn't important. Knowing enough to be able to expose it is. And it's interesting in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told of Noah's faith in building the ark. God told him, Noah, I want you to build this boat because I'm going to destroy the earth with a flood. And many believe that before Noah, it never rained because a mist came up out of the ground and watered the earth. And so Noah is building this huge ship to house all the animals. And he took a lot of ridicule probably before because of that. But just the very act of being obedient to what God said, believing that when God said, I'm going to flood the earth and everything will die, Noah believed that. It was an act of faith. It was a sign of the coming judgment. And that is why I think the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is so offensive at times to people, to many people, because it exposes the darkness of what they're living in and what's going on in our world. And it declares that unless you repent, the only thing left is judgment. There is nothing else. Repentance or judgment. And that is offensive. Now let's jump down to verse 15. Paul talk, continues to talk about light and, and what it exposes and so on. But in verse 15, he tells us this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. First he says, walk carefully. Some translations say walk circumspectly. It's pay attention to your walk. I'm reminded of several years ago when Charity and Lydia and I went to Sudan. We went there to help the Wycliffe Bible Translation team get a translation center back online, back so they could work in that building again after 21 years of civil war. And one of the things that they warned us about on that trip, and one of the evils of war is landmines. Now, thankfully, we don't have to deal with that. It reminds me of a story I heard. Uh, this story reminds me of another story. A guy that used to grow watermelons, a farmer, he grew watermelons. And he had trouble because these neighborhood kids were always coming into his watermelon patch and stealing watermelons. So he thought, okay, what can I do to stop this? And so he put up a sign. The sign simply said, one of these watermelons is poisoned. Ooh, which one? Well, nobody knew. So for a couple nights, no watermelons came up missing. And then there was another sign right beside the sign he had put up. Two of these watermelons are poisoned. <laughs> now what? 
Now, he didn't know which one. So, landmines. Don't ask me why I went that way. A landmine is an explosive device that's buried under the surface of the ground. It's covered and you can't see it. Now, some of those are designed so when you step on them, nothing happens. When you remove your foot or your tire from your car, it blows up. They're designed to maim and to kill. Evil, pure evil. And I understand along the, the, the Moroccan border with the Sahara Desert, there's a disputed territory. In 1974, Morocco took over that disputed territory. That whole area is just strewn with landmines to this day. And so there are groups of, there are actually women and their children that go out into that desert and they're sweeping that desert. And every place they find a landmine, they plant a tree. Landmines are pure evil. It's part of the evils of war. So back to my story. When we were in Sudan, we were told, never go off the beaten path. Never walk a path, go off just out in the countryside, just looking at stuff. Don't do that, because there are landmines everywhere. It was kind of sad because just outside of town, there was this huge rock formation. And people before the war would go out there and you'd hike up and you could see it was the only, it's only high place in, for miles around. You could look out, you could see the, what you call it, what they call a city. You could see the Blue Nile River in the distance. It was a beautiful place. So we said, well, can we go there? Uh, no, 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 no. Nobody goes there. Because that has been strewn with landmines and many people have died. Animals have died. Children have died and been maimed because they went too close. It's forbidden territory because of landmines. I think Paul is not telling us to keep our eyes glued to the ground in front of us, to sweep the ground, checking it so we every step. He's not telling us to pick your toes up so you don't trip. No, he's telling us that we live in a world that is filled with spiritual landmines. Things that may seem innocent on the surface, but could end up being extremely deadly. And so we are to walk carefully. But what does that look like practically? Of course, we know that we're supposed to flee wickedness, sinful acts. Scripture is full of those things. We know what they are. The evil deeds of darkness, Paul calls them. But I think Paul means more than just do, not doing bad stuff. Let's jump down to verse 19. And, and it almost seems that Paul just kind of throws this verse in here for, we're not sure why, but I think there's a good reason. Obviously, there's a good reason. The verse reads, Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. That is something that we are to do. It's an active participant. But why? Now, he says, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He probably doesn't mean that when Rob came in this morning, I'm supposed to go, good morning, Rob. How are you doing? You know, sing. I can't even sing it. It sounded a lot better at home. But anyway, <laughs> that's not what Paul means. And Rob would probably turn and walk out. But we're not supposed to greet one another with a song, I don't think. 
When we dwell in the darkness, when we're, our minds are consumed with what is going on in our dark world, it has an effect on our hearts and our minds. And Paul says we need to be careful with that. But when we fill our minds with praise, with songs of praise, it has just the opposite effect. Think about that. When our minds are filled with praises to the Lord, we are probably less likely to be offended by someone when they say something that we may take the wrong way. We may be less likely to snap at someone when something doesn't go our way. Thankfully, I don't have a cat to kick anymore. Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Uh, Or to make hurtful comments to someone. When our hearts are filled with, our minds are filled with praise, it affects our mood. It affects our, how we feel. And so we are probably less likely to act out things that the darkness wants to do to us. So Paul says, look very carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Let's look at that in reverse. He says, do this because the days are evil. Only a follower of Christ, only one who knows his word is able to faithfully determine what good and what evil is. A person living in darkness is literally living in the dark. They have no clue. And a case in point of that is in recent times, what is perceived as evil in our world is getting someone's preferred pronoun wrong. Canada, Ontario is working on laws that make it illegal to say anything that might offend someone of a certain lifestyle. How are you supposed to figure that out? But that's evil. If you you address a person a way that they don't want to be addressed, he or she or Mr. or Mrs. or Miss or Ms. and whatever, you're in trouble. That's evil. Just over a month from today, in this state, the state of Ohio, there will be two constitutional amendments decided upon. Two issues, issue one and issue two. If you know what those are, raise your hand. Okay, some of you do. Well, you're going to know now. Issue one will secure the right of an abortion for any individual... Interesting how they use the word individual. At any point in pregnancy up to live birth. Unless an attending physician says that that baby can survive outside the womb. They can decide not to abort, but they don't have to. It's interesting that I understand that the language of that amendment also allows the right to gender therapy and transitioning to a different gender without parental consent. 
So I went to the National Right to Life or the Ohio Right to Life to their website. And this is what they call Amendment 1, Issue 1. State-sanctioned murder. The second issue is Issue 2. And it will legalize the cultivation, the use, and the sale of marijuana for recreational use. Now, why are these on the ballot on November 7 or 8? I forget the date. Because the days are evil. All right, let's admit it. Let's call it what it is. Because the days are evil. But this is the world that we live in. Now, maybe all this depresses you and you'd rather not think about it. I completely understand. I would rather not think about it either. And the myriad of other things that are going on. But as followers of Christ, what are we to do? As light that exposes darkness, what are we to do in this world that God has placed us? In Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, in chapter 7, he's answering questions that they had because of their situation. And the questions are relating to marriage, to those that are married and to those that aren't married. And I'd like to start reading in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And Paul begins there, he says this, in answer to their question, questions. I think that in view of the present distress or the present crisis. Now let's stop there for a second. So there's, there's something going on in their world. Paul calls it a present distress or a present crisis. Some translations say an impending distress or impending crisis. Some say it was a debilitating or devastating famine. Some say it was, it could have been severe persecution that was coming. Some even say that it's the second coming of Christ, although I find it interesting that, well, that wouldn't be a crisis or a distress for God's people. That would be glorious. So probably not that. Paul continues, it is good in light of the present distress or crisis that a person remain as he, as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrayed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. Sorry, honey. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal in the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Back to verse 29. Is Paul saying that because of this present or this impending crisis or disaster or distress, that we are to ignore our wives and our families? We just need to go out and do what God wants us to do. Sorry, honey, you're on your own. Kids, I'm out of here. I got to do what God wants me to do. Is that what he's saying? No. Because it goes completely counter to everything else that he says about marriage and family. In fact, 
At one point, he told Timothy that a man who doesn't take care of his own family is worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever. So wait a minute. What's going on here, Paul? Here's what I think he's meaning and what helps us in our walk, being careful in our walk. It's very easy for us to get self-absorbed as an individual, as a couple, as a family. And that our sole focus is on ourselves. Now, Ruth and I are retired, and I was thinking of this yesterday. Maybe we should just go out and buy a nice, big, comfortable motorcycle and just do the things in life that we've never been able to do because it's our kid's fault. We've been stuck, right? So... She's not in for that, and I'm not either. It doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. But I'm not saying, I can't say there's anything wrong with that necessarily. I don't think. But it's easy for us to just focus on ourselves and keep everything else out here. It's all about us. What we want to do, where we want to go, and we can just neglect or ignore the world around us. But I wonder if our day is any different than the day that the Corinthians lived in. Are we living in a present crisis? I think we would probably say yes. Could it get worse? It could get worse. But it could surely get better as well. So whether we are in a crisis or an impending crisis, we can understand. We are not to just circle the wagons and it's just about us. And sorry, everybody else, you're on your own. In Jesus' prayer to his, for his disciples, past, present, and future disciples, he prayed to the Father and he asked this. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Keep them from being overcome by the darkness and that the world may believe through them that you sent me. Our lives, our words, everything we do is to show light, the light of the gospel, that Jesus has come to save sinners. And then Paul says in verse 16, back in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Make the most of every opportunity. Or as some translations say, redeeming the time. Can anybody but Derek tell me what that means? Anybody but anybody that has their hand up? Okay, what does it mean? Pardon me? No, it doesn't actually. It means pluck the day. Is that right? See, we, we're, we're to, you know, I didn't know that. Seize the day. Now, who said that? Derek, do you know? <laughs> Horace, the poet, a Roman poet. I thought you'd know that. Anyway, pluck the day. Seize the day. Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Redeem the time. Now, this is what's fascinating to me. Just the night before last, I was reading the newspaper. They still make those. And there was an article in there about how to 
save some funds, some money. Did you know, how many of you have a 2023 calendar hanging on your wall somewhere? We all do, probably multiple. If you save that calendar, in the year 2034, it will be exactly the same. And then stick it back in the drawer, and in 2045, you can pull it out again and hang it up. It'll be exactly the same. And in 2051, and then in 2060, well, that doesn't, I don't need to keep it that long. In 26, and every 11 years, it repeats itself. I never knew that. Does that what it means by redeeming the time? <laughs> I don't think so. Nothing to do with that. The word, the word translated redeemed, or where we get the phrase making the most of every opportunity, means to buy up, to seize, to grab hold of, to purchase. It's not something that just falls into your lap. It's something that you go and get. So Paul is saying, make the most of every opportunity. Look for opportunities. Find opportunities and do it. We are given, I think Paul would say, agree, we are given lots of opportunities in life as lights of the world, reflecting the light, being the light. We are to make a difference in the world that we live in. We are to use opportunities, we are to look for opportunities that make a difference in the lives of others and our world. Our opportunities are different. My opportunities are not the same as yours. So I need to make sure that I don't look at what you might be doing and think, whoa, I can't do that. So there I'm just, I'm just going to get my motorcycle and go off into the sunset. No, 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 no. God has given each of us different opportunities. We need to find out what those are and to do them. We cannot live in a vacuum in the mindset that what goes on in the evil world around us will somehow just bypass us. It won't. Reminds me of a statement that some call it a poem of Lutheran pastor Martin Neimoller just after World War II. And he spent the last eight years of, his, of the war in Nazi prison camps and concentration camps. Why? Because he was an outspoken critic of Hitler and the Nazi party. He was exposing the darkness as he saw it. He wrote, First they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. We live in what is called by many a post-Christian nation. It used to be that if you were running for any kind of a political office, being a part of a church somewhere, a member of a certain denomination was an important thing. You could put that on your resume. Not anymore. You don't want anybody to know. Paul says to look for and to seize opportunities for God's glory and the advancement of righteousness and truth. 
Martin Neimoller seized an opportunity to expose the evil in his world, and the price he paid was steep. We probably don't have an opportunity like that. But we need to find out what our opportunities are and to use them. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, and he says this, So then, as you have opportunity, there it is, the word opportunity, as you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. How can I be a blessing and do good to those around me, my neighbors, my friends that aren't believers? But how can I be a blessing and an encouragement, especially to those of the household of faith? That means to us. How can I do that? What are opportunities that I can seize to do that? I need to close. But let me finish by reading the rest of this passage again. Verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand. Try to figure out, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be active in my world? And he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. That's just self, filled with self. Just what pleases me. Just what would I want to do? But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's humility. We must ask ourselves, what is God doing or wanting to do in our world, the world that I live in? What are the opportunities he has brought or he wants to bring to my attention? Am I even paying attention to see them when he does? Because it's so easy for me to just curl up, go off into my little workshop, do my own thing, and the rest of the world can go to hell if it needs to. I mean, that's what's coming, right? But something tells me that's not what God wants us to do. I'm going to close with a quote from the Spider-Man movie. I've never seen it, and I don't plan to. The quote is, With great power comes great responsibility. I guess Uncle Ben, whoever Uncle Ben is, he said that, I guess, to Spider-Man. But it wasn't original with him. It was original with Jesus. Jesus said this, for everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. What is Jesus asking you? As we think about communion this morning, the sacrificial, sacrificial death of Jesus for the world... Stop and think for a moment about his life. And we studied it in Sunday school this morning. He was surrounded by inconvenient people and inconvenient situations. But he never, 
treated a seeker with disdain. He never said, I don't have time for you. I've got my schedule. All the while, his eyes were set like flint to Jerusalem and the cross. He knew where he was headed. I heard this week a great, just a little piece of a great sermon by Dr. Tony Evans. He said, Jesus spent so much time in prayer to his heavenly Father. And if you look at how much time he spent with people, he would meet someone and he, and he didn't, there wasn't this long conversation, you know, trying to get to know them. No, he spent so much time with his heavenly Father that when he met a person, he knew exactly what to do. He said, take up your, men, your mat and walk. He didn't ask him, well, how did you get? No, he just said, get up. So we spend much more time dealing with people. Maybe we should spend more time with talking and fellowshipping with our Heavenly Father, and then all of these life situations don't get so confusing. But Jesus was not inconvenienced by people. He redeemed the time, and in the process, He redeemed humanity. Father, we thank You this morning for Your love for us. And Father, thank You that You don't treat us as we deserve. And Father, this morning as we again will remember the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus on our behalf, Lord, help us to know to seek, to find ways to seize the opportunities that you want us to seize and not just wait for something to come along, but to actively look for ways, ways that will bring you pleasure. Father, that's scary. I'll admit that's extremely scary. But Lord, we want to do your will. We live in a dark day. We live in a present crisis. The world needs to know about the Lord Jesus. And they need to see his people in action. That's us. So Father, as we drink this cup in remembrance of the shed blood of Jesus and we eat this cracker in remembrance of his broken body, Father, may you fill us with your Holy Spirit anew to be about your business. And we will fail. And you will forgive us as we come to you. But Father, just work in us. Do a marvelous work in us. That we here, as individuals, as a congregation, can bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus in the world that we live. In his name we pray. Amen.